This Father's Day, the Home Depot has same-day delivery on the perfect gift to help dad be everything he can be. Because your dad is more than just a dad. He's groundskeeper of the yard, the perfecter of the patio, and the cleaner of the clippings. Let the Home Depot help power dad's doing with the convenience and gas-like power of Milwaukee cordless outdoor tools. Plus, get up to $150 off select Milwaukee tools. For everything dad is, find the perfect gift at the Home Depot. How doers get more done. Order select and stock items by 4 p.m. subject to availability. Hear that? It's the call of the Crave. And when the Crave calls, you know what to do. Try the $5 Bacon Bundle. Because the only thing better than a White Castle slider is a White Castle slider topped with crispy hickory smoked bacon. So pick any two of either the Bacon Cheese Slider, 1921 Bacon Cheese Slider, or Chicken Bacon Ranch Slider. And also get a small fry for just $5 with the $5 Bacon Bundle. White Castle. Follow your crave. They tried burning me. Then they tried burying me. They even tried holy water. But I just keep on ticking. Welcome to Talk is Jericho's the pot of thunder and rock and roll and happy Halloween. I'm coming to you uh, after just getting home from Chris Jericho's rock and wrestling razor at sea. I know the podcast was delayed about 12 hours. That's my fault. There was no Wi-Fi on the ship. I'm home now. We're getting this thing up as quick as we possibly can. And I want to tell you, Chris Jericho's rock and wrestling razor at sea, once in a lifetime experience, uh, one of the best moments, uh, best weekends of my life. It was like, uh, this is your life, Chris Jericho. All my friends and family, uh, my peers, my coworkers from every generation, all my friends, great rock and roll bands, and a great experience with all of you uh we are working very diligently to be able uh, to announce uh, to announce that we're going to do chris jericho's rock and wrestling rage at c part two but for now thanks for the memories great great times uh, uh and if you weren't able to join us to see the alpha club versus the bullet club people are saying it's a five-star match our friends at fight.tv and the fight tv app are giving you the chance to see the biggest main event of the year uh it took place on the ship once again alpha club the bucks of jericho or is it y2 jackson versus the bullet club kenny omega cody and marty Skrull. it's going to be part of the streaming for vengeance pay-per-view this saturday night november 3rd at 8 p.m exclusively on fight.tv and the fight tv app sign up now pre-order so you don't miss it You'll get the main event match, the biggest main event of the year, plus the entire Sea of Honor tournament that also took place on the ship. Amazing matches throughout the tournament as well. So crazy. Pre-order the Streaming for Vengeance pay-per-view at Fight.tv and on the Fight TV app. Catch all the action this Saturday, November 3rd at 8 p.m. Uh, you're not going to want to miss this one, trust me. All right, you're not going to miss uh, this today's talk is Jericho either on Halloween. I've got a special guest returning to the show, Josh Gates of Expedition Unknown and Destination Truth fame. He's back to talk about the new series he filmed for the Discovery Channel called Expedition Unknown, Search for the Afterlife. It's available to stream now at discovery.com. Josh and his crew literally traveled the world trying to find out what happens after a person dies. They went to India to talk to Deepak Chopra. They traveled to Amazon 
on jungles to take part in a hallucinogenic ritual to try and commune with the dead. They filmed with psychic Chip Coffee and Josh had quite an experience with him. Josh and his crew also talked to a, a lot of scientists about the tunnel and light that a lot of people with near-death experiences say they've seen. And of course, Josh talked to people who died and resuscitated about what they saw and felt at the time. Creepy, fascinating, a must-see and a must-listen. Perfect for Halloween. So let's get to it. Josh Gates, we go behind the scenes of his latest Discovery TV special series, Expedition Unknown, Search for the Afterlife, and we're searching right now. So, um, Josh Gates, one of my favorite guests, and I always said that you are the modern-day Indiana Jones. And ever since we spoke last, I have gone through the whole rabbit hole of watching your shows because my kids got into it. And... Yeah, so really cool stuff, and actually even uh, we are fellow uh, Travel Channel uh, shows guys, because I have a show right. on the channel as well, but you text me out of the blue a few weeks ago and told me about this new series that you're doing, and I did zero research because I didn't want to do any. I want you to explain exactly what you text me, where you are, and, and what's going on. Well, first of all, I uh, I'm happy to be back here talking to you. I don't think I've talked to you in like a year. I think so that I think uh, I think that might have been even like during my first year of podcasting, and I'm yeah. coming up in my 500th episode. So it might have even been like three or even four years ago. As crazy as that sounds, that's insane to me. But mm -hmm. it, it's awesome to be back chatting with you, and um, and I'm talking to you from Amman, Jordan tonight. So I'm pretty far from from where you are, Middle East. Uh, we're filming. Yeah, I'm in the Middle East, and we're we're filming a, an episode over here uh, for our uh, fifth season, which will air sometime early next year. And so, uh, and I and, and I think I might have been overseas last time I talked to you. I, I refuse to speak with you unless I'm <laughs> unless I'm far away. Is what I'm saying. Actually, last time I think you, I was in L.A. and you were in L.A. as well. And we were trying to meet up, but you were filming something. And we had a, a block of time where we couldn't get across the city to, to speak That's to each other. Right. Remember that? That's right. Yeah. I remember that. So yes, the, I do remember that. So this is your Basically, fifth. I'm avoiding you. I, That's what I think. We, we don't want to do the face-to-face -face meeting because the universe will implode. That's I think right. what's going to happen. Right. So this is your fifth season of Destination Unknown? Or is this? Yeah, fifth, fifth, fifth season um, of, uh, of the show is going to be airing early next year. And what's uh, and so we're we're about three quarters of the way through filming that we're just uh, we've got, I think, three more episodes after this one to film. And then right now we're airing this big four part special on Discovery Channel, uh, which is called Expedition Unknown Search for the Afterlife. So it's this big four part global event that we're doing on uh, the search for what happens after we die. And so uh, it's this it's this huge, I think, really cool show that that allows us to go around the world and look at different cultures and different ways in which people deal with the afterlife, uh, different places where people claim they have evidence um, of the paranormal and to really look at it from a global perspective and uh, and to see what's out there. Yeah. And I, I made a mistake. I actually I, I combined your two shows. There was Destination Truth. Now it's Ex Expedition Unknown. Uh, and I said destination unknown. So maybe that could be your third series. If you ever, I'm going to combine them after this and just try to use footage from both. If you ever want to so use it, please feel free to do it. Um, Done. Take it. <laughs> but before before we get into it, because like I said, I, I was really impressed. I, I knew some of your work, but then going through and watching everything, A, just how much you travel around. I mean, your schedule is even crazier than mine as far as you're always going from place to place to place. 
Um, the one episode that I wanted to kind of just mention in passing was the Ogopogo episode where you went to Kelowna, BC, because my grandparents yeah. used to live on the Okanagan in Kelowna, and I've grown up terrified of the Ogopogo from a very young age. <laughs> yeah, I mean, all lake monsters are freaky. Whether, yes. you even, whether you believe in them or not, just the idea that people have seen something big and slimy and, and unknown right. in a lake makes you not want to go swimming. Well, and it's interesting because, because uh, as you know, from, from all the stuff that you've seen in all different, you know, genres, shall we speak, whenever there's smoke, there's fire, like something weird <laughs> is in, for example, in Lake Okanagan in the, in the, in the, uh, the, uh, the, I guess the fruit district or whatever they call it in BC. Yeah. Well, no, I used to always say that back when we were making, Destination Truth, people would say, what What were your least favorite episodes? And I would say it was always the lake monsters, mm. river monster kind of things, because, yeah, these people saw something. And and even if you're a skeptic and you go, ah, well, it was just some other animal or it was just a big snake or it was this or it was that, you go, yeah, okay, but then that thing's in there, you know, so. Well, like you just um, said, a big snake. I mean, hey, right. dude, that's a, that's a lake monster. It's a big snake. Right. That's exactly. It. So. So, yeah, all those lake monster stories always creeped me out, even if I thought it was, you know, some alternate explanation. I never really wanted to run into the alternate explanation. You know, it's funny just to tell the story. I, I, I pitched a show for years, which is kind of what led me to get, you know, the, the shows I've done with the Travel Channel and kind of the, the paranormal element of Talk is Jericho. It all started for me because, my, my like I said, my grandfather uh, was – in Kelowna and he used to take me out fishing in his boat. And when he found out that I was scared of the Ogopogo, he thought it was funny. And I literally remember him taking baloney, stopping the boat in the middle of that giant massive lake and taking baloney and throwing it into the water and yelling, Ogopogo, Ogopogo. And he said, baloney is Ogopogo's favorite delicacy. And I remember, yes, cruel being on the bottom of the boat (laughs) screaming, no, grandfather, no. Convinced that the Ogopogo was going to surface, eat my grandfather, uh, tip over the boat, and then come get me next. I literally remember that. Scarred me to this day. Incredible. That's amazing. <laughs> Truly amazing. That's a cruel and and wonderful thing. I kind of love that. So when you were scuba diving in that lake, I was like, watch out, Josh. Watch out. It's real. I know it's real. Don't bring baloney. <laughs> Don't bring baloney. Right. But I mean, like I said, you mentioned all of these places that you've been and, and all of these things that you've done. And stumbling kind of onto this four-part series on the afterlife. So kind of go through it with us, what what the four parts were and where it took you. And kind of let's start talking about some of the things that you've, that you've discovered. Yeah, well, you know, we, we sort of talked a little bit about Destination Truth. And, and, and on, that, on, on that series, we, we kind of dabbled in the world of the paranormal. You know, we would do episodes where we would go to places that were purportedly haunted or had some sort of supernatural element to them. And on my current show on Expedition Unknown, um, we don't do as much of that. It's much more about archaeological mysteries, legends and things like that. But it's not really rooted in the paranormal. But but I do have this longstanding interest in that subject. But I think for me, you know, I turned uh, I turned 40 last year. I got a, a beautiful wife and a couple of kids at home now. And, you know, I'm at that mm-hmm. point in my life where I'm kind of thinking about Okay, now I got to start thinking about this thing that, you know, we don't want to think about what what really happens, what what's really out there. And in my travels, one of the things that you just bump into all the time are people's religious beliefs, people's beliefs in the spirit world and and 
And, you know, they're so different in, in, in so many ways around the world. And so this is an opportunity for us to to really say, OK, let's go out there and talk about I don't know if it's taboo, but it's but it's something that we don't talk about that much in our culture, you know, really death and and um, and what's going to happen to us when we die. Let's let's dive into that and see. Um, look at it through a bunch of different uh, prisms, you know, a bunch of different angles. And so we've aired one episode and then more episodes are coming. They air on uh, Sunday nights on on Discovery. And um, and really, we we started with, you know, talk. I mean, when we when we sat down to sort of talk about the special, it's like, OK, how would you investigate the question of life after death? And the most obvious answer is you would die. Right. So right. Um, yeah. we, we couldn't do that. We couldn't get Discovery to sign off on like a full flatliner segment where I would have, you know, my my, my heart stopped and then paddled back to life. Those bastards. Um, yeah, exactly. Exactly. No fun at all. Right. And so we did the next best thing, which is we we got together a group of uh, people who had died and then came back on the table. So we got together a group of of really fascinating near death experiencers and talked to them about what happened to them when they died. And these people have these insane stories and they're really credible people. One of them is a spinal surgeon mm. and she tells this incredible story about what happened to her when she died. She died in a, a kayaking accident in South America and she was underwater for 30 minutes and then revived and brought back uh, to life. And all of them, as well as near-death experiencers around the world, tell these really consistent stories. They see a light, they see a tunnel, things like that. But then these other really specific things, incredibly vibrant colors, music, surrounded by this kind of, it's not always angels, but but this sort of, you know, um, ethereal kind of bodies and, a, and an overwhelming feeling of love and safety. Mm -hmm. And so talking to those folks was that was kind of for me like the happiest moment of the four part special because you sat there and just kind of went, God, I hope that's true. You know, I hope, right. <laughs> I hope, I hope these people are onto something. Now the skeptics would say, well, this is, this is a neurological thing. This is what the brain does when you die. It gives you a big hit of, 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 uh, you know, happy chemicals, right. As your, uh, as your computer is shutting down. And so we, we've gone and met with neuroscientists that are studying death and we met with basically the guy who is at the cutting edge of this, who has done a project called Project Aware, which was a project that was done in emergency rooms around the country where they would put stimuli in the room, uh, audio stimuli, different noises and visual stimuli uh, to try to talk to people that were resuscitated who had you know, clinically died to see if they could recall any of the stimuli in the room. Mm -hmm. And their findings are indicating that the moment that we think of as death, when the heart stops, when there's no longer a pulse, when the pupils are, you know, whatever, dilated, the whole thing, that consciousness seems to endure for some period of time beyond that. Now, he's starting to think that maybe more goes on than than just, okay, these final systems are shutting down. But we're a long way from being able to say what really happens there. But just the fact that, you know, that the sort of cutting edge research on this is the moment when you we think people are dead, there are still higher systems functioning is kind of incredible. Well, yeah, and it kind of goes to what I guess the whole theory of the afterlife is, is that when, you know, like the body is the vessel and like you mentioned, when the body breaks down, the, the spirit roams free, which would tell you exactly what you're saying, that kind of the higher the higher functions kick in to take you to the next step. Is that kind of what you're getting at? Yeah, I mean, I, well, I mean, that's what that's certainly what these near death experiencers believed. Mm. All of them came back resolute that what they experienced was not 
just their brain in a kind of free fall shutting down. They all really felt like they went somewhere that was mm-hmm. extremely defined and very real. And I kind of went to science thinking, okay, now the neurologists are going to tell me this is this is crazy. But they kind of didn't. They one of the things that that really came out of talking to the talking to the specialists is that we don't really understand the brain that well. You know, we don't really know what happens when the brain shuts off. We don't even really know where consciousness is stored in the brain, you know, or I mean, some people might even say we don't even know if it is stored in the brain. But but this question of what really happens in those moments is way less understood than I thought, um, Hmm. which is, I guess, both kind of fascinating and scary. But talking to these near death experiencers, one guy came back, he got hit by lightning in a um, he was in a phone booth and it got hit by lightning and it killed him. And and then his experience was that he was standing there looking down over his body slumped out of this phone booth and he watched as they called paramedics. He could remember all of it. He could remember from a sort of third person perspective, seeing his wife, his family. And then they revived him. And he he said to me in the show, he was pissed hmm. because the, he, he really the, the experience of being dead was really good. Hmm. It, it was very, you know, it was sort of comforting. And the really crazy thing about his story is that when he was wherever he was, he kept hearing this piece of music and he was not a music guy at all. Didn't know how to play an instrument, didn't know how to sing, didn't know how to do anything. But he had this piece of like classical music running through his head from the moment they revived him and started going into classical music stores and buying albums and, and nothing. It was just like this piece of music that he had knew he had never heard. And it drove him crazy. And he met with um, a number of uh, of neurologists and experts. And one of them finally said to him, you should go learn how to write down what you heard. And he did. This guy went and took piano lessons and learned how to write music. Mm. And he wrote a guy who had who was, I don't know, 40, 50 years old, never had any musical inclination of any kind, wrote this classical piece of music, which he played for us. And it's beautiful. And you sort of sit there and go, where the hell did that come from? Right. You know, Um, so. That was a cool part for me of the special, starting off on the more hopeful note of like, okay, there's something out there, you know. Um, and then we do all sorts of other things during the show. We we uh, on the on the second or third episode, we're going to sit down with Pendulette of Penn and Teller, who yeah. is like a staunch atheist, and talk to him about his very resolute belief that nothing is out there. You know, and um, and when I said to him, you know, what do you think happens when I die? He said, I think that the year after you die is just like 1910. You know, you weren't there. Hmm. Um, it's just nothing. So it's the, the the show is really about looking at this question from a whole bunch of different angles and, and really deciding if there is any evidence out there to support that something really is going on. Just to, to backtrack, and I want to go to well, let's go. First of all, what you said about Penn Teller, what was he saying about 1910? He was just sort of saying, like, I said to him, so what do you think happens when I die? And he said, I think that the year after you die for you will be exactly like 1910, which is to say you weren't there. It was nothing. It was darkness. Like in 1910, you didn't exist. You don't have a memory of 1910. You don't you know, you just there's nothingness. And so his his you know, he is obviously of this kind of growing school of people. There are atheism is like really on the rise. There are a lot of people that are stepping away from religion and are saying, I'm I'm done with with this, and I I'm you know subscribing to this much more sort of scientific view of the universe that uh, we're here and then we're gone, 
And so he we 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 spoke to him as an advocate for that position and uh, and heard what he had to say. And, you know, there's look, there, there's a part of me that feels that way. I'm like an I always say I'm like an open minded skeptic. You know, mm-hmm. I want to believe we all want to believe. Right. Um, but, yeah, there's a there's a part of all of us. There's no person who really knows what's going to happen. And so there's a part of me that thinks, yeah, there's absolutely possible he's right. And um, that's a tough thought to grapple with. You know, it's uh it's a very it's a very depressing thought, you know, that that when you die, just nothing happens that that yeah. it's, it's, that it, that it's, that's it, you know, and and being from the Christian faith, I totally do not believe that. But like you just said, I think part of doing what you do on TV and what I do podcast wise, when you have people on that are convinced that they've seen, you know, a Bigfoot or or have died and come back to life. You have to give them the benefit of the doubt, like you said. Being a, would you say a, a, a kind of a skeptic, open minded skeptic. skeptic, exactly. So to me, I would much rather be of the, you know, the guy got pulled back into his body and he was angry because it's way more fun to be dead than it is to do the pen sure. pendulette where there's just nothing happens. Like what a what a depressing kind of sad thought that when you die, that's it. Like we just dissipate into the mist and, and that's the end of, of, of us. Yeah, that's the, you know, that's the, those are the two far ends of the, of the pendulum, right? One is that you go to an eternal, uh, salvation or, or an eternal consciousness somewhere where you endure. And the other is that it's, uh, just curtains, you know? Um, so, you know, those are the sort of edges of the, of the belief, I guess, but really so much of the show was also about going to places or is going to be about going to places where, you know, can you kind of experience this afterlife or this evidence firsthand? One of the segments that we did in the first show that will spill over into the second show is we met with uh, a guy who you might know, Chip Coffee, who's a, who's a world famous psychic. He goes yeah. to a lot of events and stuff in the paranormal world. I've known Chip for a while. I've never really known much about his work, except that he's um, a lot of people really put a lot of stock in him as a psychic. And I wanted to meet with a psychic on the show. I said, I want to sit down with somebody who's going to tell me that they can talk to my dead relatives or they can reach into the beyond. And I want to see that happen. I really want to see it, you know. So we went to one of Chip's gallery readings where he, you know, was was doing readings on a group of people. And we sat there and I said to him beforehand, I said, listen, I don't I want you to feel like you have to talk to me. You know, we're really here to just observe what you do. And if you don't get anything about me or my life, that's fine. And we sat there and watched him do a bunch of readings on people. And I mean, people, he's just like reducing people to tears. Like Mm. he says stuff that is so dead on that people just like, I mean, it's like he takes them out at the knees. And I sat there in amazement and I'm like, this guy is unbelievable. How does he do this? And then he turns to me and he says, I got, I got a message for you. I got something for you. And I'm like, no, you don't have to do this. Cause I'm thinking, okay, he's, he knows he's on my show. He wants to like deliver something. And he says to me, did you just have somebody die in your family? And I had my, my aunt had just passed away and nobody knew about it. It wasn't in the papers. There wasn't an obituary. My crew didn't know about it. I was very private about it. She lived in another state. It was not something that, you know, it was, it was, it happened. Uh, and, and nobody knew about it. And I said, uh, yes, I, somebody in my family passed away and I'm thinking, well, everybody's had somebody, you know, pass away. This had just happened. So I was a little bit kind of like impressed out of the gate, but I thought, well, maybe this is just, you know, everybody's had somebody die. So he says, um, he's, he stands there and, and he says, uh, 
it's an M. It's like a letter M. And her name was Madeline. And now I'm like, get out of here with this. And this is crazy. Right. And he proceeds to talk to me and describe her and describe elements of, of her life and what she did that were so dead on. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I'd sit there and this guy didn't like go do deep research on me and like go. I mean, really, like it, it was it was everybody in this place, a bunch of people assembled, half of whom he'd never seen before. And um, it was one of the other moments in this show where I kind of had to scratch my head and go, I don't get this at mm -hmm, all, mm -hmm. you know. And I said to him afterwards, um, we're doing an after show after each show where we kind of go a little deeper into the topic. And I had Chip on in a kind of a Q&A format. And I'm like, how does this work, man? Like, do you do you see this? Like, is it like do you do you see images? Do you literally hear my dead aunt's voice? Is she talking to you? Is it like ghost? Is it like this full right. like there's like a misty person standing there, you know? And um, he says, no, he says it's kind of like a movie in his mind. It's like when you daydream and you just see images, he says they just get plated up for him and they just kind of appear. And he sort of sees letters or he hears things. And he says kind of it takes on all sorts of different, you know, uh, things. But um, it's just like a kind of movie in his mind. It just so happens that a lot of what appears there seems to be right. Mm -hmm. So, you know, I left that night feeling totally shaken. Like now I don't know what to believe, <laughs> you know. See, and that's the um, thing when you've done as many shows as you have. And, and the show that I just did for travels called Hunting Monsters, where we went looking for Louisiana, you know, swamp monsters, but it was all tied into ghosts and voodoo. And there's a point where there was some spiritual activity that was affecting me directly. And dude, I'm like you, man, I've, I've been through it all, seen it all. But this one moment made me feel like I was on a roller coaster. Um, uh, uh, like my insides were shaken up and I, like, yeah. this was not cool. Like it was something that people might want to go, Oh, it's show business. And you're probably working with it. Yeah. Maybe you're doing that for at some points or playing along. This was not playing along. And when you feel right. that, like you just thing. felt that, you know that it's the real deal, right? Totally. And and you also know, I mean, you know, I'm a I'm a TV host. I'm a performer on some level, right? So right. I know when somebody's BSing me, I know when I'm looking at a bad actor, Yeah. you know? Yeah. And one of the things about it's really unnerving is he, he's not stressed out or nervous at all. He walks out in front of a room full of people. This camera's all over him. And he just does his thing like he's he has 100 percent confidence like this stuff is really coming to him. And he's really he's not fishing around mm -hmm. nervously and wiping sweat off his brow and umming and awing and trying to shape what he hears to fit what's going to work for them. I just sat there and tried to study him uh, because, you know, it's like when you go to see a magician, you sort of lean in and you go, where's the string? You know what? what how are you sure. doing this? But I watched him and I thought this guy, I'll tell you what I can say for sure. Chip Coffee believes what he's doing. Right. right. He believes it. So that part of the equation for me is like, okay, I got that. He, yeah. he believes what he's doing. Um, and the fact that his accuracy is so high in so many of these things is, you know, just leaves you to wonder where that information's coming from. Um, and, you know, people would, I'm sure, put a hand up right now and say, yeah, you know, but a lot of being psychic is about being an intuitive and hitting on things. And, um, or maybe it's just some, you know, less of a spiritual thing and more of a kind of, uh, you know, mental thing that he, you know, whatever it is, it's weird. <laughs> and, yeah. um, and it's not easy to explain once you've been in the crosshairs of it, you know, psychics are 
have long been accused of being confidence men and and um, taking advantage of of, of people. Um, and in some cases, I'm sure that's true. But when you are in a room with a guy like Chip and he hits on you uh, with information that he can't have, he does he shouldn't know. It's like you don't really know what to think. Well, yeah, and like you said, I'm sure quite a few of them are confidence men. But when the ones that are real, like you said, you can tell just from doing what you're doing. This Father's Day, the Home Depot has same-day delivery on the perfect gift to help dad be everything he can be. Because your dad is more than just a dad. He's groundskeeper of the yard, the perfecter of the patio, and the cleaner of the clippings. Let the Home Depot help power dad's doing with the convenience and gas-like power of Milwaukee cordless outdoor tools. Plus, get up to $150 off select Milwaukee tools. For everything dad is, find the perfect gift at the Home Depot. How doers get more done. Order select and stock items by 4 p.m. subject to availability. Let me ask you this. So, so how many shows have you filmed so far? We filmed all four specials okay. and all four after shows. Gotcha. So there's, you know, parts of it are things like like Chip. We also attended a real life exorcism, which was terrifying. Wanted to see what that world was like. The idea of possession, the idea not just of the afterlife, but of demons and things like that crossing into this world. So we went and watched a guy who believed that he had a demon in him be exorcised by a priest who who does this as a regular thing. It was super uncomfortable. I didn't. It was, in 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 some ways, it was one of my, I don't want to say least favorite, but it was it, it was a troubling segment for me because I left the segment feeling again like this guy who thought that he was possessed was genuinely troubled. The question, of course, is: is it a demon or is it a demon of the mind? And the fact is, is that I'm not qualified, and I'm not even sure the exorcist was qualified to really make that call. You know. And I think that that line between mental health and having a truly kind of beyond you experience is one that is so hard to ascertain that it really comes down to what you believe. And so seeing this guy go through this experience where he it was I mean, it was not, you know, his head wasn't rotating around and, and pea soup wasn't shooting out of his mouth. But but this mm-hmm. guy was like he transformed. He, he was. His hands were clenched. His arm, he was just covered in sweat. He was, he was almost throwing up into this garbage. I mean, he was like, something was happening to this guy and his voice changed and, and his attitude changed and it was insane. But the whole time I kept thinking, just like chip coffee, this guy is a hundred percent going through this. Right. But is this all in his mind? You know? And I, that to me was too, I, I just couldn't get, I couldn't get through that part of it. Yeah, I couldn't get past that. Well, I mean, yeah. I mean, like when you're seeing that uh, up close and personal, and once again, that's what makes a great guest on, on a show like this when the person believes in what they're saying. But when you said if the person is believing it so much that they're, you know, thrashing back and forth and speaking different languages and sweating, geez, I, I mean, is that not is that not a, a, a kind of a demon to begin with? You know, is it a exactly. demon from hell? No, well, but is it well, a demon in his mind? That's right. Or, or, you know, some, some people who, who are advocates for this would say it is in his mind, but how did it get in his mind Mm -hmm. and and, and what's affecting his mind? You know, so that's where you get into that kind of rabbit hole of you really can't say, oh, I'm going to make a call on this just based on witnessing this because it's, it's complex, you know? Sure. And, uh, and so we have segments like that. We, we do some tech segments in Russia where we're looking at 
uh, transhumanism, which is this movement of people who I think much like Penn believe that there's nothing out there. And so they want to invent the technology to allow us to avoid death. Hmm. People who want to get uh, our our consciousness, our souls into computers, uh, augment our limbs, you know, that whole movement. That's a fascinating world. There's like insane advances going on in that world and um, robotics and this sort of merging of, of people and machines. But it's the same thing. Like one of the things that you bump up against when you go into that world is you don't really get how the brain works. So you can't get it onto a computer yet. Like you, you can you can create limbs for people who've lost limbs. You can get the human mind to control a piece of robotics. You can do all that stuff. You can kind of turn us into the Borg in that sense. But but this idea that you can offload me onto a hard drive like me, whatever the essence of me is, which is the big question at the middle of all of this is like, what is us? What are we? Um, they're so far out from that, you know, even at the, at the best places in the world, it's like, they just, that's just such a mystery. It's like we, for as much as you think we know about the brain, it's like, man, we really don't know that much. Well, I mean, let's talk about that for a bit. So the idea is to download your brain waves into a computer. Is that basically what we're going for here so that you would live forever, but online, so to speak? Well, they, they believe in this thing called the singularity, this, this, this moment at some point in the near future where man and machine are going to merge and where death is no longer necessary. You know, the idea that, that we can conquer death and that we can, um, maintain our, and, and be put into a new body, be put into a new computerized body, be put into whatever, um, it's it's really, I think, a movement that is born somewhat out of fear. Right. These are people who in their soul are like are like Penn. They're like, I don't think anything's happening out there. So uh, after we die. So let's try to beat death. And, um, you know, it's it's a world that is is kind of like. I'm kind of glad it exists because there's all sorts of other offshoots like medical things that are happening for people with lost limbs and things like that. But but at its core, there is a group of people who are part of this kind of robotics, AI consciousness sort of movement who, you know, their ultimate mm. goal is to beat death at his own game. And uh, it's a fascinating world. It's really cool stuff. But I don't think I'm not sure I'm going to live to the day where I uh, download myself into my uh, MacBook here. <laughs> but you said that there's a lot of technological advances in that field going on. Like what what are they doing to try and make that happen? I think they're they're rapidly kind of understanding many of the ways in which the brain controls the, the various systems of our body in, in, in ways that we just haven't understood in the past. And so the idea that we can get the brain to merge with electronics is astounding. And I think we are going to live to see pretty soon things like robotic eyes uh, for people who've lost their vision. We already have huge advances in terms of people who've lost their hearing. Um, in certain cases, you, you can create a kind of, you know, um, implant that kind of circuits around uh, some of the damage in their ear. We've obviously seen crazy robotic limbs that are that are being developed. So I think you're going to see this, this merger is going to happen, no question. But it's this, it's this like, event horizon of like, how do you get over that last step of like, you know, getting the essence of me into a computer, not just using my own brain to control other stuff, mm -hmm. but getting me to go somewhere else. That's the thing that I think, um, everyone has these, like, when you talk to all these transhumanist guys, they're always like, yeah, we're five years away. Everything's five years away. Right? <laughs> yeah, of so, course. Yeah. 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 Um, yeah, yeah. 
you know, we're five years away from putting a human mind into a computer. It's like based on nothing. Right. You know, um, I think we're really far away from that because I think at the end of the day, the one thing that nobody knows is what is you like? What is your consciousness? Like Mm. I get like they, okay, they're like figuring out where memories are stored in the brain. And we know that if you suffer certain traumatic brain injuries, your memories are damaged and things like that. So yeah, there's like a hard drive system going on in there. Everybody gets that. But this sort of essence of you, I don't think people have a clue, really. Right. So that movement to me is like, it's a cool idea. It's fascinating. Uh, but I think that in terms of the afterlife, we got a long way to wait to uh, avoid death altogether. And then, of course, there are all these other big moral questions about like, is that even a good idea? Sure. You know? Yeah. Um, what does that mean for society if we're all hanging around forever? You know? Well, yeah, yeah, there's another thing right there as well, because you hear like, you know, all the stuff that even Elon Musk is talking about, about this new technology that's going to be like little, I don't know, little bots that go into your to your system right. that kind of eat away all the cancers and all that sort of thing. It's great in theory, but you know, at some point, the, the you know, we have to call the herd, right? Yeah. Well, I mean, it, you know, exactly. From a biological perspective, sickness and death and things like that are a part of what makes all of life work is that you, you have to have this kind of turnover in order for things to work. And so, yeah, there's these huge, huge questions, which we didn't tap too much into because it's like a, a much, yeah. a much bigger world of kind of like, what would it mean if we could avoid death? You know, what would that really mean? So we do that and we, and we, uh, we talk to Deepak Chopra, famous, you know, uh, sort of Eastern guru, friend of Oprah, kind of, yeah. uh, you know, new age kind of guy. I had a great chat with him that I barely understood where he made me feel like I was both nothing and everything in the universe. It was one of those <laughs> talks that kind of, you know, I like for the first five minutes, I was like, I totally get what this guy's talking about. And then I just nodded my head for a while. And I was like, I have no idea what this guy's talking about. I'm not sure he knows what he's talking. You know, is that kind right. of thing? Or was it- I was like, wait, so I'm nothing. He goes, no, you're the nothing. That's everything. And I was like, right. <laughs> Come right. on, dude. Right. Nothing. Live to ride, ride yeah. to live. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That kind of stuff. Um, we went to India in the show to, to do some stuff with uh, Hinduism, obviously a much different belief system than we have here. Uh, they more the of reincarnation. reincarnation. Yeah. So what were they thinking? Yeah. Well, we went to there's a there's a city in India called Varanasi, which is known as the city of death. And it's this very holy city in India where Hindus go to die. Hindus believe that when you die, you 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 come back. Right. And you, and it sounds good on paper. But in but in reality, it's it's an exhausting process, they believe. Right. The idea that you have to live all these lives and all the suffering and challenges of life that kind of go on and on that ultimately you're you're trying to end that cycle and achieve a real enlightenment and go to nirvana. Mm. Um, and so dying in, in the city of Varanasi, if you can die within the city and your ashes can be sprinkled into the Ganges River, the Holy Ganges, then you can break this cycle of reincarnation. It's kind of the end game for, for Hindus. Mm. So if you go to Varanasi, you, you see these, they're called ghats, and they're these uh, piers, these stepped piers that go down into the water along the banks of the Ganges. And at some of the ghats, they're called burning ghats, and they burn bodies there, and they burn them all day long. This is like a never-ending process in India, talking about a billion Hindus, right. uh, and people are dying all the time. And so we went there to experience this very different view of the afterlife and this very different view of death. Uh, but I got invited when we were there down to the burning ghat with a family to participate in this funeral ritual, really special moment, totally honored to be asked to do that. And 
it was a really there were a few experiences in this special that kind of rocked me to my core. This was one of them mm. because I sat there and helped carry this dead body and dip him in the in the river and then put this guy on a uh, on a pile of wood and stood there five feet away from him, three feet away from him and watched him burn down to nothing, mm. you know, and um, and that's something that, you know, we don't see in the West. Right. We don't we don't see dead bodies almost ever. Um, it's a, it's a rare thing to see a dead body here, uh, in yeah. America, right? You just don't see them. And when you do, it's in a, in a, in a, in a funeral sense, it's like this very controlled thing. Like here's a casket, take a look. He's got a suit on. Doesn't grandpa look, look great. And these are all made up and makeup. And, and, um, that's if you have an open casket sort of thing at all. And then it's this very like into the ground tucked away kind of thing. It's very private in a sense. Um, in India, they just don't deal with death that way. Um, this, this guy who passed away, his brother lit him on fire. You know, I mean, imagine that, right? Mm. Imagine taking a, 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 a torch and lighting your brother on fire. Um, and then to stand there and look at him as he disintegrates down into nothing, mm -hmm. into, into nothingness. Yeah. And, um, and it's extremely graphic and it's extremely gory. Um, and, and there's smells. blood and there's, yeah, I mean, it's, it's, uh, it's just everything. It's like, I mean, India in general is overwhelming to yeah. us because it's just a yeah. totally different, everything's different to us, yeah, yeah, you know, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. the sights and sounds and smells and, and humanity of it all is just so different. But this is something that if you're from the West, it is just like a gut punch, you know, and I, and, and it's one of the few moments that I've been doing TV a long time where I was trying to talk to the camera and I just getting like, I was crying, you know, I, I could, I couldn't even really speak. I was so emotionally overwhelmed by what I had just seen that I just hadn't really processed it, you know, and I was trying to talk and I couldn't even really speak because we aren't used to it. Right. And yet here you look over and there's people bathing in the river and standing there and family members and people are crying. I mean, people, there's, there, there's a sense of sadness. People aren't cheering, you know, but, but death is treated as a reality. It's treated as something that we're all headed here. You know, this is going to happen to all of us. And they don't shy away from it the way that we do. I think right. it's one of the few instances on the show where I really felt like, yeah, you know, it's easy at first glance to look at this and go, oh, this is so exotic and weird and different. But, you know, to Hindus, the idea of taking a body and dressing it up in a suit and putting makeup on it and putting it in a yeah. in a coffin to rot, um, that would be really ghoulish to them. They, they just don't get that. You know, they would probably go to one of our funerals and have the same reaction that you had watching one of theirs. I'm sure they, they would think it was crazy. You know, it's you interesting, know, too, it when like you said, like people bathing in the river and the, as the bodies are being burned beside it. Um, you know, I, I was in India years ago and had the same kind of reaction that you did. Like, this is so different from the way we do things here. But to them, it's just, you know, another day at the office. Totally. You know, we went to visit a, 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 a tribe in Indonesia called the Taraja that, um, they have a really to us, I say weird, weird to us belief that, um, that the spirit doesn't leave the body when you die. Most cultures think when the person dies, if you believe in a spirit, you believe it goes somewhere. Right. The, the, the Taraja believe that it stays in the body. And so in their culture, they take dead bodies of their loved ones and they put them in their house. And so I went wow. to a home where this guy's parents had passed away and they're in the house in these kind of open casket things. And they're just there in the house, just kicking back. Kidding me. And, and they bring them food and they bring them offerings. They, 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 they go and talk to them. And these two little kids came running in 
and they're, you know, go over to the caskets like, hi, grandma, hi, grandpa. And I'm standing there with my mouth on the floor looking down at the like the like what looks like some special effect from The Walking Dead, you know, and I'm standing there like thinking like, oh, my God, these 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 kids are looking at this right now. These kids are seeing this right now. These are their grandparents. But then I'm kind of like, wait a minute, like these kids are fine with this. Right. Like these kids are not scared by this at all. And in fact, when their parents die, they might be better equipped to deal with that than when my parents die. Mm-hmm. Like they're they're ready. They've got like this is all, you know, they 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 have a belief system in which like like, you know, the Hindus in India, death is a part of life. It's not this thing that we just kind of pretend isn't going to happen until right. we're like it happened, you know. That's a really interesting point, Josh. It is it's the one thing that we all have in common, you know, death and taxes, totally. right? But That's right. We you know, here as as a, as a as a culture do not really address it to where, you know, sometimes I am at late at night or something and I just start getting in that mood like, oh, my gosh, what happens when you die? Like, what happens? Like, I don't want to die. I don't want to die. Like, everyone kind of goes through that when you get into those moments to whereas maybe the what, – what's the name of the tribe? The Tawaka? Taraja. Taraja. Tawaka is an alcohol. Maybe they drink – Tarajas are drinking Tawaka to deal with it. But if you're living with it to where it becomes just another aspect of life – like, you know, I don't know, getting your driver's license or whatever it may be. Right. When it happens, you're like you just mentioned, you're much more prepared mentally for it than we are kind of in the Western society. Totally. To us, it is something that is not to be discussed. Yeah. You know, like maybe your dad says, hey, if something ever happens to me, here's where the will is or here's where the uh, here's the bills are, you know, that yeah. kind of thing. But it's not often we don't sit down and go, hey, mom, dad, you're going to die. You know, let's let's talk about that. We just do. It's like the last thing. we. Yeah. Like, hey, hey, don't put that in the universe. We don't want to talk about that. Yeah. Right. It's like taboo. Don't even mention it. You know, mm-hmm. um, this particular tribe has another thing that they do. It wasn't happening when we were there. If anyone is near a computer and Googles this, like your your head will explode. They have this thing called a manene, which is M-A-N-E-N-E which is when they eventually bury their dead. They don't keep them in the house forever, but then they will dig them up like from the family plot, change their clothes, pose for pictures with them. Wow. And it is like insanity. And you see these pictures of like some guy dressed like a police officer, but he's like a full walking dead, partially, you know, zombified guy who's been dead for three years or something. And he's standing there with his kids and they're like, their thumbs up, like, we're here with dad. Dad, like, like, look at dad. We just dug him up and gave him some fresh clothes. And And like, and what's the point of doing that? Just celebrating them. Like they're not gone. Yeah. They're, 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 they're just still with them, you know? And so they've gotten over the kind of ghoulishness, physical ghoulishness of it, that just doesn't phase them because they, they, they live with these dead bodies and they see them. And then they're like, this is not somebody we have to put in the ground and, and never see again. This is somebody who's still a part of our life, even though they're dead. I don't know that I'm gunning for adopting that in my own family, but, right. um, but, but, but I do think it illustrates that point, right? Which is that like, we do have a kind of death issue in America where we, even when we go to church or when we go um, to temple or, or whatever it is that you do if you're a person of faith, we're mostly focused on salvation, on the hereafter, on, um, you know, that we're all going to this better place. We don't 
just really dwell on the act of dying very much. It's just something that we don't do. So one of the big eye openers for the show was was understanding that there's a lot of ways to look at this thing that we're all going to go through and that you got to be really open minded and, and maybe even try to learn a little bit from from other cultures that are doing it differently, because I think we do have a lot to learn, mm-hmm. you know, about the way that we handle death. It is scary. And it, and it and it's always going to be scary, I think, even if you're the Taraja or even if you're a, a Hindu in, in Varanasi, I think I think it is scary. The unknown is always scary. Right. But but I do think that our avoidance of it is maybe maybe too much. This Father's Day, the Home Depot has same-day delivery on the perfect gift to help dad be everything he can be. Because your dad is more than just a dad. He's groundskeeper of the yard, the perfecter of the patio, and the cleaner of the clippings. Let the Home Depot help power dad's doing with the convenience and gas-like power of Milwaukee cordless outdoor tools. Plus, get up to $150 off select Milwaukee tools. For everything dad is, find the perfect gift at the Home Depot. How doers get more done. Order select and stock items by 4 p.m. subject to availability. So what are the four, like, how did you group the four different episodes of, of this, of this arc? It was, it was tough. We sort of started in the beginning with talking a little bit about heaven and hell and, and looking at kind of where some of the ideas in antiquity came from and how ideas about faith get kind of formed. In the second episode, we are talking about the East, talking to Deepak Chopra, going to the Ganges, talking a bit more about other big religions. We touch on Islam a little bit and, 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 the, and the Muslim world, kind of going to the East and getting away from the kind of Judeo-Christian stuff um, to kind of look at other cultures and the way that they uh, handle stuff. And then eventually kind of bring it back to to the Americas at the end of the show. They're not strictly defined. It's more of a kind of progression of, of, of different segments that kind of tie together. The final episode involves a big ghost hunt, which is really fun. We went to the Queen Mary in Long Beach with uh, Grant Wilson, formerly of Ghost Hunters, and Amy Bruni and Adam Berry from uh, Kindred Spirits. Yeah, they're great. And had a huge. Yeah, they're great. They're all awesome people. And and uh, and we did a big ghost hunt with them, which was, you know, I mean, I felt like I couldn't do a show on the afterlife and not talk about how the paranormal is like a pop culture phenomenon in America now. You know, mm, we sure. were like super into this as a kind of recreational activity, as a piece of entertainment. So I wanted to like go on a real ghost hunt with them and talk a bit about that, which was super fun um, and caught some amazing evidence. You know, went the, the Queen Mary is a notoriously haunted place if you if yeah. that's something you believe in. And and um, and we caught all sorts of, you know, as 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 you have seen before and as I've seen before, you do go through these experiences where you feel like you're in the presence of something else, you know. Right, right, right. Um, let's go back and talk a little bit more about about kind of the more common uh, you know, afterlife, which is, which is heaven and hell. Did you sure. get it in anything? I mean, I'm sure it was all interesting, but what did you kind of surmise about that sort of elements? We didn't go too far into it. Like we didn't really want it to make it a show about religion. It's yeah. impossible to make a show about the afterlife without talking about religion. Mm-hmm. But I definitely felt like I, I really was a minefield to be able to say like, here's parts of our belief system that don't make any sense, or here's things from the Bible that, that do make sense or don't make sense, or here's why Hinduism's wrong, or here's why Buddhism's got it right, you know? So I think we, we kind of just spoke a little bit about how in ancient times, a lot of beliefs in the ancient world were driven specifically by fear of the unknown. You know, if people yeah. didn't understand why the sun came up every day, bam, you're worshiping a sun god, you know? Right. Um, when it comes to, to our modern religions, 
we try to touch a little bit on Judaism, Christianity, Buddhism, Hinduism, you know, the biggies. Um, and, you know, look, they, they all have things in common. Um, weirdly, uh, Islam and Christianity are really similar in a lot of ways, which we don't really talk much about because there's such a grown rift between these religions. But they're not um, – I mean they're really different in the sense that Muslims don't believe that Jesus is a savior. So that's a huge difference. But just structurally, they both contain very similar ideas. Mm -hmm. There is um, there is a God. There is a, a day of judgment. There is a heaven. There is a hell. You know, if you do good deeds in life and you're a good person and you follow certain uh, rules and regulations, you go and and uh, and you go to heaven. Mm -hmm. uh, and in fact, Muslims believe in uh, that many of the prophets of the Bible are prophets. You know, Muslims believe that Moses was a prophet. Uh, they believe that Jesus was a prophet. They just believe there was one more. They just think that, you know, Muhammad came and there was one prophet after Jesus. Um, they'll kind of grant you everything up to Jesus. And then they have, you know, <laughs> an, an, an additional add on uh, prophet. But, you know, those those religions all have a very similar idea, which is that we're going someplace else where we will be loved, we'll be cared for if we're good if we're good in this life, then we will be given a reward and, and not just if we're good, but if we, if we worship our God and if we are truly, you know, uh, um, disciplined in our religion. And we just didn't want to kind of challenge any of that because a, it's controversial, but B, who am I to challenge it? You know? And that's sure. one of the things that I say to people all the time is people say, well, you know, don't you believe that this religion's right or that this religion's right? And I, you know, if once you travel professionally, it's very hard to, to feel like you have an edge on truth. You know, like I can't say that a billion people in India are wrong and mm -hmm. I'm right. Mm -hmm. You know, I, I think that we're all tugging at the same thing. I think that we're all tugging at this idea that there is something beyond us that um, these these religions are all trying to get at the same thing. Maybe some of them have it right. Maybe some of them don't. But I think we tried to steer clear of judging anybody because it's a big world, you know? Did you talk to anybody um, that, I mean, you were talking about the guy from the phone booth that did not want to come to his body. Did you talk to anybody who kind of uh, had any evil experiences where they maybe were kind of close to hell or anything like that? Just just the exorcism segment really was the only sort of demon-based segment that we did. Right. Um, I've read accounts of, it's, it's very rare. Most near-death experiences are strangely euphoric and kind of positive. I've read a few accounts of people who died and came back and the experience was terrifying for them. Um, but for the yeah. most part, most of those experiences are positive. The, for, for me, the absolute most challenging, terrifying part of the entire special was in our last segment, we went to the Amazon and I partook in an ayahuasca ceremony, um, which for me was, you know, something I really wanted to do. Uh, people of the Amazon, for people who don't know what ayahuasca is, have for centuries, if not longer, believed that medicines in the in the Amazon plants um, can connect you to this spirit realm. And ayahuasca is a wow. really powerful uh, hallucinogen. It's the most powerful psychedelic on the planet. Uh, and you can drink it and people believe that you will connect to this spirit world. So we wanted to experience that. So we went down there and, and did an ayahuasca ceremony. And of all the things that we did on the show, that was the most challenging for me by a mile. Is it a plant or something or? 
It is. It's uh, ayahuasca is a vine. Okay. Um, it translates to the vine of death, which is not a very appealing sounding name. <laughs> uh, it might also translate to the vine of spirits, uh, depending on the translation. But it's actually not the thing that makes you hallucinate. There's a plant in the Amazon called the chacruna leaf. And if you take a whole bunch of those and you find the right shrub that they come from and you take like 300 of those and you put them in a pot and you boil it and it cooks down into some godly looking, ungodly looking mud, you can drink that. And it is loaded with uh, DMT, uh, which is the hallucinogen at the, at the center of the drug. But if you did that, you wouldn't hallucinate because your body has an enzyme in your stomach that basically prevents the uh, DMT from, from doing its thing. The, which is amazing in and of itself. That right. The body is specifically designed to sort of ward off things like this. Um, ayahuasca, which is a vine that can be chopped up and added to the to the brew, strangely contains the exact enzyme inhibitor, the, like the perfect inhibitor to cancel out your body's reaction and to allow the trip to take hold. So I don't know how anybody figured that out in the middle of the jungle because every fourth plant in the Amazon would like kill you if you ate it. <laughs> but um, but over the centuries, shamans and, and people figured this out. I, I'm not a big drug guy. I mean, I I um, certainly it's not an endorsement of drugs, you know. Right. Um, the Discovery Channel would like me to say that at every turn. <laughs> um, but, you know, this this is something that the people of the Amazon, they don't see it as a drug. They see it as a medicine. And I've spent so many years you know, visiting the, the the great ruins of the cultures of Central and South America, and so many of them were influenced by things like ayahuasca, like the Maya. I mean, the Maya, all of their imagery is mega trippy. There's no question that they were doing uh, a lot of stuff like this, and that's how they were trying to commune with their gods and to commune with their spirit world. Mm -hmm. So I felt like, okay, I can't do a flatliner segment where you stop my heart on the table, but I want to go and see what these people are experiencing with this with this medicine, if you want to call it that, that's supposed to connect you to the other side. So we went down there and we did it and uh, it was insane. It is the only word I can use for it. It was insane. In what way? I mean, in every way. It was like they they distill this stuff down to like to give you a frame of reference, like a shot glass. Mm -hmm. Picture a shot glass with muddy water in it. You look at it and you go, well, that's nothing. You know, it's a little shot glass. And then you go into a hut and you sit with these shaman, these old men, and they had asked me for two weeks or three weeks to go on this really special diet, like no sugar, no carbs, no soda, no booze, no sex. It was like the worst, it was worse than anything, right? It was like three weeks of like, have no fun at all <laughs> to get ready for this, you know, purify yourself for this thing. And did you do it? And then, yeah, I did it. Okay. It was, it's horrible. It was like the worst three weeks of my life. I mean, I like to eat. I'm like, I'm not a small guy. I mean, food and I are close. Forget the sex. I just want to eat. <laughs> right. um, and, you know, I felt very prepared for it. I'd done all the stuff I was supposed to do. And one thing that's really important about ayahuasca, there's, there's two important things about ayahuasca that anyone will tell you who's done it or who, that the people administering it will tell you. And there are two things that make you not want to do it. One Everyone who takes it statistically, I mean like 97% of people who take it, experience what they call la purga or the purge, mm -hmm. which means that you vomit a lot. Mm -hmm. And some people do more than that. It comes out of both ends. Gotcha. So that's unpleasant. And I obviously my big goal was to not poop my pants on TV. That's like <laughs> oh, nobody wants that. Right. On the reel, you know, um, nobody wants that on the highlight reel. Uh, and the other big thing that they'll tell you is that people often see a lot of really intense imagery. People often see snakes. People often see creepy crawlies and things like that. 
So, you know, you hear that and it's like, okay, this is like the worst advertisement ever for uh. this thing. And, um, so I took it and I drank it at about seven at night in this hut, um, with just a few candles and the shaman. And, uh, we documented in the, in the final episode of the show, I sent my whole crew home except for one camera guy, uh, because I just, you know, if it did go bad or if it was embarrassing, it's a very vulnerable position to be in. And I, this one guy I've worked with for 10 years, a great friend of mine, I just thought I trust him to document this, you know? So, um, for about an hour, not much happened, except I didn't feel very good. You know, you definitely, it tastes like poison. I mean, it tastes like something you shouldn't be drinking. Mm -hmm. um, and then I started to see little pinpricks of light on the ceiling and then little geometric shapes. And I kind of thought, well, this is cool. You know, <laughs> I mean, if, if this is, you know, all right, I can handle this. Yeah. This is, this is fine. This is nice. And then after about an hour, it just, it got crazy. And, and, you know, my big, the, the, the only way I can explain it is this. My big fear was. I'm going to be sitting in this hut, laying down in this hut, and I'm going to look over and hallucinate that a huge snake comes into the room. That was my fear, mm -hmm. right? The thing I didn't account for was that I wasn't in the room. Mm. You know, the room went away. I mean, it went away. Wow. I was not there. I was completely transported to another place. It was, I mean, you can pick any adjective you want. It was beautiful. It was spiritual. It was terrifying. It was horrible. And many people who've done it talk the way that I do about it, which is it's not recreational. It's not fun. Mm -hmm. It's amazing, but it's really challenging because you see lots of stuff that I saw stuff that was really scary. I uh, definitely saw snakes, definitely saw um, all sorts of really bizarre imagery. But I also saw things that were like the most incredible, majestic things I'd ever seen. Right. And uh, and it just was uh, a crazy experience. I saw people that had died. I saw people. I saw my grandfather. Um, I felt really connected to something way bigger than me. Um, and again, this kind of gets us back to the exorcism. It's like, OK, where did it all come from? You know, and one of the things that I'm left with and that I have to tell you, I've thought about every single day since I did it. And we filmed this months and months ago is either I had an experience where I saw the afterlife, like I saw something yeah. beyond me or it was all in my head. And if it was all in my head, then I, it's almost even scare. It's almost even weirder because I clearly have no idea what my brain is capable of. Wow. Right. You know, because right, right, because right. nothing I saw was like referential. It wasn't like a dream where you kind of wake up and you're like, oh, yeah, I dreamed all this crazy stuff. But right before I went to bed, I was watching that movie and that's where that came from. And mm -hmm. I'm stressed out about this thing. And that's where that came from. No, this was like another dimension. And it was insane. It was a really insane experience. Uh, I threw up quite a bit. I didn't uh, I didn't poop my pants, which was great. <laughs> but um, I, yeah, I definitely threw up. I was definitely sick. Um, you know, people say, would you recommend it? And I always say, I'm actually more scared of it now that I've done it because mm. it was so, I was so out of control. You know, I was so under its will right. that I realize now that if it had been bad and some people take this and they have really scary experiences that I would have been totally powerless to override it in any way, you know? So that I just didn't account for it being that like all encompassing. 
And so now that I've done it, I realize, wow, if you did this and it really didn't go well, you know, you could have like a psychotic meltdown. Sure. But um, maybe never come back. Right. But I definitely felt like it was an experience that was bigger than me. And even though I'm not an advocate for drugs and I'm not someone who thinks that things like this should be recreationally done, I will say that for me, it exposed me to what I felt like was something beyond myself. And therefore I now have to kind of go back and think about what do I really believe in, you know, and maybe these fears that I have about nothing being there are, are wrong. You know, maybe, maybe there is something there, uh, because I felt like for a moment, you know, I, I got a glimpse of it. Hear that? It's the call of the Crave. And when the Crave calls, you know what to do. Try the $5 Bacon Bundle, because the only thing better than a White Castle slider is a White Castle slider topped with crispy hickory-smoked bacon. So pick any two of either the Bacon Cheese Slider, 1921 Bacon Cheese Slider, or Chicken Bacon Ranch Slider, and also get a small fry for just $5 with the $5 Bacon Bundle. White Castle. Follow your Crave. Did they film that whole trip that you were on and, and were you talking during it and reacting? Yeah, my big plan was I'm going to narrate this, right? I was like, okay, okay I'm going to take <laughs> this and I'm going to talk to the camera. And right, that was like my naive plan. So for the first 40 minutes, there's a lot of footage of me being like, yeah, my eyes feel kind of tight. And now, <laughs> oh, I'm seeing these little pinpricks of light. And then there's a moment where you can just see that I'm gone. Like I left the room, right, you know, right, right. and. I was unable to, I was unable to stand. I mean, I, I, I laid down, if the building had caught on fire, I would have died in a fire. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Like mm-hmm. I, I, you, you would have had to fireman carry me out of this place right. to get me out of it. I can only imagine it's what like heroin and hard, you know, drugs that were like, people are just incapacitated. It, it was just like, you know, I was legless. I mean, I just it was completely out of it. It sounds the, a lot he, like, like when you're, I'm sorry to interrupt you. It sounds a lot like we're talking about like, you know, Native Americans when they go on the visions um, it is, you know, the peyotes yeah. and that sort of thing. It's the exact same concept, right? It is the exact same concept. It's using these medicinal plants that contain these psychotropic substances, getting them past your body's sort of defense mechanisms and and letting your brain experience what they what they do. You know, my camera guy filmed it for a long time. We we talked a lot beforehand about like what would constitute enough footage of this. You know, mm-hmm. he hung with me for a while. Normally, you do it in almost complete darkness. Right. Um, and the shamans, you know, we had said to the shamans, look, we need to have some candles in here because we just won't be able to unless we do the whole thing in night vision, which we didn't really want to do. We're not going to be able to see anything. And they said, OK, that's fine. But they said at a certain point. Josh is probably going to ask you to turn the lights off because it's going to get too scary with the lights on. Mm. And I didn't really know what that meant. But sure enough, there was a point where I just intensely wanted it to be dark. I didn't want to see the things I was seeing in the light. And I just said, please, please blow these candles out and just, you know, kind of like leave. I'm, I, I can't really even having people around me, having my camera guy around me got too much. And so. Um, he was great about it. He, he had a bunch of footage and, and blew the candles out and, and, uh, the shamans stay there in the, in the hut with you. But it went on for, um, I mean, I was in it, in it for eight hours. Wow. That's a long time, man. Yeah. I fell asleep after eight hours, uh, early, early in the morning and, uh, and then woke up and felt light as a feather. You know, I mean, I felt great. Um, weirdly, mm. no hangover, no nothing, but you know, eight hours of being trapped inside your own mind and maybe in the spirit realm or whatever is a long time. Um, 
Chelsea Handler did a show for Netflix where she went down and did it. And uh, for some people, it doesn't take. She she did it and nothing happened to her. Mm-hmm. Uh, and she was pissed, you know, because uh, right. she'd gone all the way down there and, and done it. And that happens. And so she stayed for a second night and did it again. And the second night she she uh, had an experience and she described it. Uh, she was like with her sister years ago when they were children, like in a canoe or a kayak or something. And they were paddling around and she was like there um, and got transported back to like an earlier part of her life. And, and people who do it all see different things. The one part that kind of made my blood run a little bit cold, like the twilight zone capper of the whole thing was when we finally left and took the boats back down through the Amazon, back to the little port town in, in Peru, um, where we left from originally, there's a little cafe there and all of the artwork in the cafe is painted by people that are ayahuasca artists, people who take mm. this stuff all the time and then paint. And half of the stuff I saw was in these paintings. Wow. Wow. wow, you know, wow. That's crazy. I stood in the middle of this cafe with, with literally tears in my eyes looking at these paintings and it was like, oh, that's the exact snake and how I saw it and how it was coiled and the patterning on it is the same. And, and I saw a lot of wings and feathers and bird kind of nature bird imagery intertwined with stuff. And I just would see, look at these paintings and I'm like, that's exactly what I saw. And why is that in your opinion? Does it join everybody's <laughs> minds or what? I don't know. I don't know. It's, it's, it's kind of gets you right back to this question about the near death experiencers. Right. Does everybody see a tunnel of light and everybody have these feelings of love and warmth because your brain, by the way, the, some people believe that the ingredient in ayahuasca, the DMT is exactly what flushes through your brain when you die. Mm. That uh, pineal gland in your brain dumps a whole bunch of it into your brain as a kind of, you know, final send off to make you feel calm and, 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 uh, and at peace. So is it just that we all react to the chemicals of this plant in a similar way? That seems weird. Why do we all see birds and feathers and snakes? Like, what does that have to do with anything? Right. right, You know, or does it connect us to something else? You know, for me, I felt very intensely during the experience and afterwards that I was connected and being shown not just in it, but kind of like somebody was something was showing me all these things. I felt the presence of something way bigger than me. Um, but then again, maybe I'm just a guy that was high on drugs and had a grand <laughs> sense of the adventure, you know? Right. But who you know, knows? You know, it, it's interesting as we wind down here. I mean, that, that story is, it doesn't get any bigger than that, but I feel that, you know, once again, living in the Western society that we have gone so far with, you know, modern medicine and, and all these sort of things that we're talking about. But for example, a couple of years ago, I, you know, I had really bad back problems and I started doing yoga and not got back surgery, which three doctors told me to do. Went back to the ancient practice of yoga and basically healed myself. And I'm like, uh-huh. why wouldn't the doctors have said try yoga first? Because that's not how we think in this part of the world. We're too far advanced to do something as ancient as yoga or take you know this, the, the, this drug to go into another dimension almost I wonder if some of the stuff that you kind of stumbled upon and researched in all of these remote areas of the world is kind of going back to what human beings, you know, basically should be looking towards uh, rather than trying to transform our brains into a computer. Well, I think that's true. And, and you know, when you when you look at the pharmaceuticals and, and modern medicine, you know, half of those pharmaceuticals are coming out of the rainforest anyway. Right. You know, for them are being harnessed from these natural plants anyway. Um, yeah. I mean, I think that like. 
I'm all for science and I'm all for medicine. I think that that we it's 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 right to kind of move forward. But I agree the 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 transhumanists and the people trying to put my brain inside a, a computer were in some ways I thought the most misguided of all the folks that I've met only because it seemed like a fantasy and kind of the wrong fantasy, you know, I mean, right. it, it seemed like it, it didn't really honor the game of life in a way, you know, and, um, and I, I did feel like, and Hey, you know, maybe it's cause I was in a hut in the Amazon though. People universally seem to see the same stuff, whether they do an ayahuasca segment in Peru or at a hipster commune in Brooklyn somewhere. Right. But I felt more than anything, deeply connected to nature and to the world as a kind of entity, as kind of hippy dippy as that sounds. Mm -hmm. And that's not me. I'm not that guy. I'm not that in touch with that kind of side of, of myself. And, and I'm not really, you know, a kind of crunchy granola guy when it comes to that stuff. I'm an environmentalist in terms of conservation and stuff, but like, you know, it made me kind of appreciate the, natural world in a really profound way that I think I'd lost touch with a little bit and our place in the natural world. And, you know, it really made me feel like I don't care what anyone believes in. Nobody knows for sure what happens. Somebody's listening right now saying that's not true. I know that it's Jesus. Some someone's saying that's not true. I know that it's, you know, Buddha. But the fact is, that's all faith and faith is great and it's important and you might be right. And I think it's important to have faith about something in life. But I do think that the fact is, is that it may be bits and pieces of all of these things and that we may all be sort of pulling at some big universal truth that we don't all fully understand yet, you know? Mm -hmm. Um, and I don't know if it means that we get to kind of be conscious somewhere and look back on this from the heavenly plane Part of me thinks that doesn't happen. Part of me thinks that there's something, but it's not quite that clean and neat. And and that, you know, what I felt during the ayahuasca ceremony was that all of the raw materials of me and you and everybody will kind of recycle in this big cosmic blender, not just in an atomic kind of clinical way, but in a much more spiritual way. Um, maybe the Hindus have it right. You know, maybe it has more to do with the recycling of all of the bits and pieces that make us, us, you know, I didn't feel like I got clarity from, from that trip, from that, you know, experience. I didn't walk out of it and go, aha, now I get how it works. Mm -hmm. But I come out of it feeling like, wow, I, you know, this is bigger than me. And I think I need to respect that there may be more to what's out there than I really understand. And I should start trying to think about that more. Last question for you, Josh. You mentioned earlier on that now that you have kids and you're married, you kind of wanted to think, you know, what does happen when, when, you know, when we die? Do you feel more at peace, uh, more confused uh, after you've done these four shows? Uh, how do you feel now about, about, about dying in the afterlife? I think, I mean, if I'm being honest, I, I think I, like everybody, still feel scared of it. I mean, I think it's something that it's hard to have complete and total comfort with the idea of dying. If only because you're going to miss that next Star Wars movie or that, you know, it's like <laughs> sure. we don't want to, you know, it's like it's a bummer. Right. So um, I certainly still feel as everyone does, I think, the, the the kind of pain and sadness of, man, this is going to be a day when I'm not around and there's going to be a day when I don't get to see my kids. You yeah. know, I mean, that that stuff that's like that's just gut wrenching stuff. Mm -hmm. But I definitely felt like it was something of a wake up call for me that. 
I probably shouldn't avoid it. I shouldn't avoid thinking about it. I shouldn't avoid treating it as a reality. And I should continue to explore whatever faith is going to mean for me. You know, I've been kind of coasting like a lot of people of a certain age in America, like uh, I went to church. I was confirmed in my church. I grew up in an Episcopalian household and we went to church every Sunday. I got confirmed uh, and then I drifted away. Right. You know, and that's one of the things I, that I talked about in the first episode. Like a lot of people, I drifted away. My church was a great church. They were great people. Nothing was wrong with them. I just drifted away. And uh, and I think this show made me feel like whether it's the church or whether it's anything else, I think it's important to um, continue the journey of exploring the afterlife and to not be so scared that you can't talk about it, mm-hmm. you know, to not be so scared that you avoid it. You know, um, it's something that we can't avoid. So we, we should, we should, uh, not fixate on it, not dwell on it necessarily, but we shouldn't pretend that it's not coming, you know? Right. Right. That's my big takeaway. Well, man, I can't wait to see the shows. And uh, I, I, was, I researched back. It was March of 2015 when we last did this. So we have to meet up again uh, much quicker than that uh, to hear more about oh your God. adventures. Yeah, amazing. You know? yeah. yeah, and thank you so much for, for having me on and for, for folks that are interested in the show. It's on uh, Discovery Channel. I've heard the Travel Channel is going to start airing it as well to really confuse people um, <laughs> so I can't, you know, about, about when and where it's on. But it's on Discovery Sunday nights at 10 uh, if you go to discovery.com, I think you can download the first episode there. And I think they're on the discovery go app as well. So, uh, hopefully folks will check it out and uh, tune in. We have three episodes to go. We're only a quarter of the way into it. And a lot of the stuff we talked about tonight and much more is in the show. So I appreciate you, uh, talking with me about it. It's been fascinating. And is, is it called, is it just a special edition of expedition unknown or is it called, yeah, it's called, it's called expedition unknown search for the afterlife. Gotcha, man. All right, Josh, we'll stay safe out there, man, and we'll meet up again soon and, uh, uh, and uh, tell Penn, uh, Penn Gillette that he's insane. There's no way that we're, that we're just going to disappear. I can't buy it. I won't. I don't want to buy it either. I don't want to buy it either. I'm with you. I'm gonna All pr- right, man, I look forward to catching up with you. All right, Josh, I'd let, let him know if I die before he does, I'm going to prove him wrong and haunt him like, uh, like Patrick Swayze and Ghost. Ab- absolutely. He deserves it. <laughs> such a negative attitude. Stay safe, man. Thanks, brother. All the best, man. Bye. <laughs> Thanks again to Josh Gates for returning to both creep us out and give us something to think about. There is there is an afterlife. I don't believe what Penn, uh, Penn said from Penn and Teller. Uh, it's just in time for Halloween, too. You can watch Josh Gates' special series, Destination Unknown. Search for the afterlife on discovery.com. All four episodes of the special are available now on demand. I suggest you check it out. And the new season of Josh's other show, too, the guys like the rock star of, uh, of a discovery and travel. Uh, Destination Truth starts on the Travel Channel early next year. And speaking of specials how about the streaming for vengeance pay-per-view special available on fight.tv and the fight tv app this saturday november 3rd at 8 p.m fight.tv is the only place you're going to be able to see the big main event match alpha club versus bullet club the bucks of jericho or is it y2 jackson versus ken omega cody and marty Skrull. people are saying a five-star classic i have to agree you do not want to miss this match plus the rest of the sea of honor tournament streaming for vengeance pre-order it now fight.tv or the fight tv app 
okay? All the matches on Chris Jericho's Rock and Wrestling Rage at Sea were phenomenal. Impact versus Ring of Honor was great. I should do a whole uh, podcast just on this cruise. Uh, what, a, what a great time. Sorry, once again, that today's episode of Talk is Jericho was late. I was on the high seas. I'm back now. Friday's episode will be back exactly when it's supposed to be. Uh, thanks again to all of you who came on the Rock and Wrestling Rager. All the concerts and matches and the live podcasts and comedy shows. Everyone came together and go check out all those podcasts this week. Killing the Town, Keep It 100, Beyond the Darkness, uh, 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 Busted Open. All of those episodes they, they, they did on the cruise ship were recorded and probably will be broadcast on their uh on their uh, shows. I know that my four podcasts I did, one with Ricky Steamboat, one with uh, uh, DDP, Conan and Rey Mysterio about Eddie Guerrero, one with uh, Jim Ross and Jerry Lawler, and of course the entire Bullet Club who had a huge announcement that we're going to hear on the Talk is Jericho very soon. You're not going to want to miss it. You're not going to want to miss Streaming for Vengeance, and you're not going to want to miss my show on Friday, a Sasquatch Chronicle, Wes Gurner Returns. It's the Squatch Cast with Billy Gray from Fozzie. Wes is going to be back talking all about the terrifying new uh Discoveries about Sasquatch, Bigfoot, Yeti, all across the board. It's Halloween week right here on Talk is Jericho. Happy, happy Halloween, Halloween, Halloween. Happy, happy Halloween till the shamrock. All right, stay hard, stay hungry. Peace, love, and hugs, and a big, yeah, boy. So what kook are we moving tonight? Michael.